we are John chapter 21, verse 24. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So John comes to the end of the book. He's getting ready to close this particular gospel. And the closing words that he gives is, this is the disciple who testifies to these things. I, I wrote these things, and it's true. I saw these things firsthand. This isn't something where you're hearing it from somebody who heard it from somebody else, and it's just been brought to a place where it's way bigger than it ever was. He's saying, I saw these things. Firsthand, I saw these things. The things that I've written, the testimony that I've given, is true. I know it to be true. To be a, a firsthand witness of something, to be able to see something, someone could tell you, no, it didn't happen like that. And, and in your mind, you could say, like, no, 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 I, I saw it. I firsthand saw it. I think of, of a mission trip that we took in August of 1999 to Romania. And we just planned this trip. We, we, we were going to visit with, with a couple of different churches there in a city called Petrishan and another city called Romanica Volcha. And so we, we planned this trip and, and took a whole bunch of people and we went and ministered the gospel in these particular areas. And when, when we got to Volcha... There was ridiculous numbers of people there. We, we didn't expect that. Um, we didn't know. We didn't look it up. We, we didn't know that on the, in the time that we were there, that there was going to be a, a total solar eclipse and that the best city to see it in the world was Romanica Volcha. And so we're there. The Lord brought people from all over the place so that we could minister the gospel to them as we did street evangelism and, and claim the good news all over the place. And you, you know when you're a kid, I mean, I think like 1979 was, some of you weren't born, but, but I, was, I was a kid and they tell you, I remember going out and looking and they said there's going to be an eclipse and it's huge and you know, like we want to all go out there at this particular time and we're going to see this thing and it's going to be really neat, but you can't look at it. And, and, and so we're going to do this thing on the ground where you're able to see like, what's taking place because if you look at it, you're going to go blind. And, and so we, I remember doing that, and, and it happened, and I was kind of like, okay, you really built this thing up. And like, yeah, we saw a little bit of a ring around, you know, the moon, but it, it wasn't something where it was like, wow. And so I was kind of in Vulture thinking like, Man, there's a lot of people coming here. And I hope they're not like terribly disappointed because I've seen this thing before. And, and so we're there and at 11.04, nine seconds into 11.04, on August 11th of 1999, there was a total solar eclipse. And I'm telling you, it was awesome. For two minutes and 23 seconds, 
it went from being light to dark. I mean, like, think about that. Two minutes and 23 seconds of darkness. Like, it, it, it had gone from being totally light to just look like it was nighttime immediately. And it lasted. If you told me, nah, it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm sure it wasn't that big of a deal. I would say, nah, I was an eyewitness. I saw it. I saw it take place, and, and you could have heard a pin drop as people gasped at, the, at the, the incredible thing that took place when it just turned completely dark. And you think of what occurred and, and all that took place. That was God orchestrating something for his glory so we could see his creation. And yet... We know that he does stuff like this all the time. John goes from there to say that there's also many other things that Jesus did. He's talking about all that he's written, all that's occurred, and he says there's, there's many other things that Jesus did. Like, I wrote down these things in the last 21 chapters. But there are so many things that he did that if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And then he says, amen. Now, we can look at that and just think hyperbole. Like, he, he's, he's in a place of saying, like, gosh, I, I, if I were to write everything about him, not all the the Space here on, on earth could contain the books that would be written. And yet, what we find is that that idea of who God is is reiterated over and over and over again in Scripture. I mean, we, we think about the God that we serve, and you, you may, I, each one of us has different thoughts as far as like the, the greatness of God and who he is to us as far as I know there's, there, there's some people where he's big and he, he knows a lot and he, he knows all things and he saved us and, and you think of him like that and there's others that have looked and <laughs> oh, you, you understand his power. Not fully, not completely, but like in a way that you don't just talk about as far as like he's big. Like, in your mind, he is this majestic, credible God who, who there's not a, a, a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from his will. And you look at your life, and you look at the way in which he's orchestrated stuff in your life, and you look the way at the way in which he's moved in your life to bring glory to himself, and you've, you've seen things that, that you thought were, were so bad, and yet you've seen him work these things together for good and, and even in the most difficult of times you trust him and when you think of your salvation you you realize the sin in which you had upon yourself and you think of him and and and, and it, it brings you to tears to think of the fact that that he took that sin upon himself and he's given you his righteousness and you think of his perfect righteousness and it just brings you to a place of of, of on your knees heartfelt Praise and worship and adoration because you know how it is that he has saved you. 
And when you think of him, you, you, you don't think of him as pathetic like some people present him as far as like he just he wants these things and he can't do it and he's so frustrated. You know that he is not like that at all. That's not the God that you see in the pages of Scripture. You know him to be one who is in control and there's nothing that can stop him. There's nothing that can thwart his plan. And, and so your view of him is just big and huge and majestic and praiseworthy. And we grow in this. But I'll tell you, no matter how it is, that as far as how great that you think that God is, I'm certain that we only understand a small fraction of his greatness. You think of, of John writing these things and he's saying, I am an eyewitness to these things. I've seen these things. I've written these things that you might believe. But if I, if I were to, to write everything that he's done, everything about him, I suppose that even on earth itself, it could not contain the books that would be written. I, I, the earth could not contain the books. David says it like this. Psalm 145, verse 3, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. It's unsearchable. David's writing these things, and, and he's writing far before John wrote these things, and when he's thinking about the greatness of God, he says it's, it's unsearchable. You can't search it out. You, you can't get to a place of understanding the greatness of God. Job, who went through all kinds of suffering, says this, that he does great things and unsearchable and marvelous things without number. The things that God does, they're unsearchable. They're marvelous things without number. They're unable to be numbered. If you tried to search them out, you'd find yourself failing to even scratch the surface. Isaiah, in chapter 40, verse 28, he says, Have you not known, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. It's unsearchable. If you were to try to, to, to search it out, it's unsearchable. That is the way in which our God is. You think of the smartest people on earth here. There's people that, that I, I tried to research it a little bit just as far as like who were, like who's known as like the smartest people throughout history and what were some of the things that they discovered. And some of the things that came up were things like Isaac Newton's discovery of gravity in 1664 or Alexander Fleming's discovery of penicillin to fight bacteria or some would argue that the greatest discovery was in 1821 by Michael Faraday when he discovered electricity. We can't forget Albert Einstein in 1905 with his theory of relativity, which explains the relationship between speed and time and distance, and that light travels always at 186,000 miles per second. Or in 1953, James Watson and Francis Crick, Crick discovered the double helix structure of DNA. And they look at that, these are some of the things that were listed as far as like these people. They made the greatest discoveries, they had the highest IQs, they were some of the greatest people that had ever existed as far as their understanding of things and their discovery of things. And yet, 
Consider the one who created the planets and the stars and all the energy and the mass and, 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 all, and the one who set everything in motion and determined the rotation, the speed of everything in the universe. It's, it's not just that, that he saw that gravity exists or it's not that he just saw that, 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 that the earth is spinning. He determined these things. I mean, you, you think of the, the total solar eclipse that, that we saw and They knew that it would take place at 11.04 in nine seconds on August 11th of 1999. Why? Because the moon orbits the earth at 2,288 miles per hour always. Always. The sun moves at 483,000 miles per hour. Always. You have the rotation at the Earth's equator at 1,036 miles per hour. And all of this moving in orbit at 66,000 miles per hour. I mean, you, you think about this, and right now you, you feel like you're kind of like sitting still, right? Somewhat. You're cranking. I mean, to, to, to think that, like, what would happen like, if the Earth stopped rotating? Mean, just take that. If the earth just stopped moving right now, you would have everything but the bedrock fly out into the atmosphere at 1,083 miles per hour instantaneously if the earth just stopped moving right now. That's not counting everything else that's moving at the same time. And it's just awesome to be able to think about We know that on August 21st of 2017, there'll be another total solar eclipse. We know that it'll take place on that day. We know that it'll take place at 345. And the best place in the world to see it will be Hopkinsville, Kentucky at 520. That'll be the best place to see it. And it will last for two minutes and 40 seconds. They know that. Why? Because chances are the Earth's not going to stop moving. And if it is, we're going to be out there going about 1,083 miles an hour, not caring what's happening with the rest of the earth. Our God is awesome. He knows these things. He keeps us spinning. (laughs) The discovery of penicillin was an incredible gift that saved millions of lives. But think of the creator of penicillin. Even more so, think of the creator of our immune system. Our immune systems are just radical. Like it, your body every single day fights bacteria and viruses and parasites in thousands of different ways. Thousands of them. If you question that, just go and, 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 and see someone who died two weeks ago. Look at what the bacteria does to them. Look at what the viruses do to them. Look at the parasites do to them. They, they, they stinketh badly. When your body is unable to, to have an immune system, the way in which it gets attacked is just putrid. Discovery of electricity, huge. 
Think of the one who created lightning that goes always at 186,000 miles per second and can reach temperatures of nearly 60,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Radical. Discovery of DNA is magnificent, but when you look at the, the one in whom created it, this blueprint that's there in which there's messenger RNA that makes copies of various amino acids and, 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 and these things are the, the, the building materials and, and there's these ribosomes and the transfer RNA molecules and, and, and it builds more DNA. I remember watching this as far as like the way in which it, it takes place and they, they show this double helix and, and the way in which these, these messenger RNA came. And if, if you ever get a chance to, to YouTube it, like just like the way in which this takes place, you can't look at that and think like, ah, it's just, ain't nature grand. Like, I mean, it, it is amazing to see in which, the way in which God has created things. And then to think that our kids have a combination of the DNA between mom and dad. It's just radical to look at. He's the one that created these things. Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Or another translation, his understanding is beyond measure. You can't measure it out. In Psalm 139, it says, how precious are your thoughts towards me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. If, if, if I were trying to, to just to measure your thoughts towards me, if I could count them, it'd be more in number than the sand. And so the, the, the point is, is this, is you, you think of what John is saying here. The earth can contain all the books about him. And then you look all throughout biblical revelation and you find it over and over again. It's immeasurable. It's infinite. It's unsearchable. He is unsearchable. Paul says, oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. David says in Psalm 147, verse 5, great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. In 139, verse 6, Psalm 139, verse 6, David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Paul says in Ephesians 3, 8, to me, I... Who, who, am the less, who, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You find these phrases coming up over and over and over again because we serve a God that cannot be contained within a box. We serve a God who's so great that when you start thinking about his understanding, his thoughts, the riches of his grace, the way in which he loves, you find that it's unsearchable, immeasurable, infinite, unable to be contained. It's past finding out. That is the way in which our God works and moves and thinks and is. But how radical is it to think that we can know him? I mean, John's writing these things saying like, I've written these things that you might believe. But I just scratched the surface. I mean, he comes to the end of his book and he's, he's just thinking, 
I just wrote all of these things that they might know that he's God. But in the last verse, he's saying, it's so inadequate in comparison to who it is that I serve. I mean, it's perfect as far as what the Holy Spirit had desired to be revealed. But John's looking back and just saying, like, words can't describe him well enough. He's not small. He's not struggling. He's not someone that we can outsmart. He's not someone that we can fully comprehend. It's immeasurable. But to think that we can know him. To think that, to think that the things that John has written have been written that we could know him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 10, that God has revealed these things to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. But what man knows the things of, of man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. What, who knows all these things but the spirit of God? But these things have been written and the Holy Spirit has been given so that you might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. He's unknowable, unsearchable as far as in his entirety. And yet he is very knowable to us on this morning. The Spirit makes things known to us that are freely given to us by God. Paul prayed for that frequently, that people would grow in their understanding of him. You hear it in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9 where he's saying, I don't cease to pray for you. I don't stop praying for you. And my prayer for you is that, is that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you would be filled with that kind of knowledge of him. My prayer for you is, he's saying, is that you would have spiritual understanding to these things. The things that are written in the pages of this particular book, God's Word, the Bible. That it would give you spiritual understanding, that it would give you wisdom, that it would give you knowledge of who God is. And that you might walk worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing Him. Being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in your knowledge of God. That's my prayer. I, I, I pray that, Paul's saying that, that you would grow. You'd be filled with this kind of knowledge. That it would affect you. That you'd walk worthy of him. That you'd be fully pleasing to him. That, that you'd be fruitful in every good work. But that you it would increase in your knowledge of him. We spent 98 sermons in the Gospel of John. Brothers and sisters, we just scratched the surface of this book. I mean, the depths of, of, of who God is and what it is that he's done. I'll spend 30 hours preparing a sermon and going through to see what it is that we should do as far as say in the time that we have here on this particular morning. And we did 98 of them. 
And I'll tell you, I don't think there was a week that I didn't come to Saturday night or here on Sunday morning and think, I just wish I had more time. Like, I just wish I had more time. We scratch the surface of it, even in this one book in which John is saying, the earth couldn't fill what should be written about him. And that's our God. That we would grow, that we'd increase in our knowledge of him. greatest thing that we could ever do is increase in our knowledge of who God is and then have it affect us in our lives. The Lord said through Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. I watched different things. I read different things about the people that they thought were the most intelligent people here on earth. One guy was the most intelligent, and it was revealed because of the way he played chess. And he could beat a computer four out of, or four out of six times. Most intelligent person here on earth. You go through others and, and, and many of them denied any idea that God exists. And they're considered the most intelligent people here on earth. God says... In the book of Romans, they thought that they became wise, but they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into one that's corruptible, one that's made in their own image. And yet, God says the only glory that we could have is that we know him. We know him. We search through Scripture. We go through God's Word and we know Him. When we read passages like where John begins with in John chapter 1 where he says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. And we read that passage in our hearts. It's we know Him. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Everything that exists, exists because of our Savior. We know the one in whom made these things. Trying to look at their explanations as far as how it is that everything's spinning at this particular pace, how it is that Light always travels at 186,000 miles per second. Going through and, 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 and reading the explanations of these things, how many of the things is just like we don't know? Our theory is that everything's always been spinning. And you go through and you start looking at their explanations of things, and we know, we know he created all things. He set these things in motion. He did it. And he's gone. 
He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word that it's talking about that was in the beginning and was with God and was God, John tells us, he became flesh and he dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. It was Christ. We know him. John goes through this gospel, and as we recount the gospel, it's glorious to be able to look and, and, and see him telling them at the very beginning that Jesus said that you're going to destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And, and they're saying, it took 46 years for you to build, us to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days. And John says he was talking about the temple of his body. When he rose again, we remember this, and we all believed. He had said it at the very beginning of his ministry in John chapter 2. This is going to happen. He goes through and he's pointing everything that, that Christ is the Messiah. He is the Savior to come. That everything in history was pointing towards him. He brings them in John chapter 3. to Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That he who believes, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in that knowledge of us, it, it, it's not a knowledge that just goes, okay, like I have no idea what that's talking about. We come to a place of looking and saying, like, the, the, there's these serpents and they're biting God's people. And so they took this other serpent and they put it in the middle of the camp. And whoever looked at it, if they just looked at the serpent, they would be healed. It was there, a snake, bronze serpent that was put in the middle of the camp. And they just had to look at it and they'd be healed. And Jesus says, that was talking about me. There was a serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Even so must you look at me. And whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. That is what heals. If we look at that and say, it all makes sense. I mean, John wrote this thing thousands of years ago. What took place with Moses and the serpent took place thousands of years before that. And you, and, you, and you look at it and, and you look at all of it and it's just, it's all pointing to Christ and him crucified and salvation that comes by faith alone in Christ. Oh, glory in that, that you know him. Glory in this, that you know that the one in whom the serpent was pointing towards is Christ who hung upon the cross and your faith's in him. We see the Lord work in incredible ways throughout the Gospel of John. John's saying, let me give you just some examples. I'll give you some examples so you understand what was taking place. There was a guy, and he, he, was, he was crippled for 38 years. Jesus just came to him. He said, do you want to be made well? The man says, I do, but every... I had no one to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. Someone comes and he always steps in before me and Jesus says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And John just says, immediately the man was made well and he took up his bed and he walked. John 5, 5 through 9. 38 years of being paralyzed. Jesus made him walk like that. 
we read things like this, and John's saying, like, like, I, just, I just want to tell you one story that's pretty incredible. 38 years, the guy took up his bed and he just walked. He walked. He left after 38 years. Jesus just commanded him to take up his bed and walk, and he walked. In John chapter 6, he goes through and says, there, there's 5,000 people. There's 5,000 people. They're all hungry. And we brought this kid that had five loaves of bread and he had two fish and, and we're all looking at it like, well, what's this amongst so many? And, and Jesus took it and, and he sat down the 5,000 people plus the women and the, and, and the children and he just started multiplying the fish and the loaves and everybody ate. Everybody ate. He made fish. He made loaves out of nothing. We gathered 12 baskets of the fragments afterwards and John just said, I... I got this story. I, uh, it ought to make you believe that he's God. He shot fish out of his hands from nothing. Bread out from nothing. 5,000 men plus the women and children, they all ate. And he just goes through and just begins to share miracle after miracle. Not only that, but the heart of our God. The woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. They bring her to him. She's caught in the very act of adultery and she should be stoned to death. She should be placed in the center of the town and people should throw rocks at her until she's dead. And so they bring her. What are you going to do, Jesus? He just starts to write in the ground, in the dirt. Everybody's there looking at what he's writing. He doesn't say anything. He just starts writing we're told that that one by one they were convicted and the oldest one even to the last they left I don't know what he wrote you don't know what he wrote but John's bringing the point of he started to write stuff and the oldest guy said I'm out of here the next oldest guy is like my conscience is being convicted I don't like what he's writing I'm out of here. And they all left. It may have been that he's been writing like, okay, you did this. No one saw you when you did that. Whatever it was, he knew stuff and they started leaving. So he says to the woman, woman, where are your accusers? Those accusers of yours. Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Radical. And John just saying, I wrote these. Here's one story. I wrote this so that you might believe. They all left and look at the heart of our God. You might be that person caught in the midst of adultery. You might be that person that has sinned in that particular way. You might be that person that feels that kind of condemnation where it's worthy of death. You might be that person that just feels like you've just been smashed down to a place where you're just like a worm and John says, he just said, like, where are your accusers? Where are they? I don't condemn you either. Go your way and sin no more. You've been freed from your sin. Have it be that it changes you. He does it again in the next chapter where there's this, this man that was born blind. He spits in the ground and he 
puts mud in the guy's eyes and he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so he goes and he washes and he comes back seen. He sees. The guy was never able to see, blind from birth. And he's able to see. And Jesus, after this man's been cast out of the temple, Jesus comes and says, do you believe in the Son of God? The man answers, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. John's giving us stories of these things. And honestly, as we've been going through for the last couple of years, every story you're looking at and every circumstance and the words that he says, you, you come to a place of, there is none like our God. And John just says, like, I wrote these things, but like, I could have wrote to where the earth couldn't contain the books because of who he is. The earth wouldn't even be able to, it's immeasurable. It's past finding out. That was the way in which John thought about his God. How do you think about God this morning? Is he so big that you just trust him in all ways? Is he so big that you look and you think, you're unsearchable, God, but I will worship you with all that is within me. I pray that that's the case. John presented Christ, his God, his Savior, his Lord, and says, I just scratched the surface. May our thoughts of God be so grand and may we see him as so majestic that like John, it brings us to a place of living for him and praising him and adoring him with all that is within us. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for the text before us this morning and we're thankful for this book. We're thankful for the way in which you have inspired every word to be written in absolute perfection so that we would know that you are God and know that you're worthy of our praise in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, I pray that what we've studied in these 21 chapters would have an effect on us till we meet you in eternity. May we be so amazed that you created all things and you became flesh and you dwelt among us and you were light and there was no darkness in you whatsoever and you fulfilled all righteousness and you went to the cross and you died taking our sins upon you and you rose again on the third day and you ascended into heaven and whosoever believes in you would not perish but have everlasting life. May our hearts place all of our faith in you. And may we never stop growing in the knowledge of our God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.